510-849-2590, extension 207, to request a copy by mail. Ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and we are not dropping the shadows out of sight. Yes, darkness, the darkness descends. I just hope, I just hope that you're not going to listen to those hearings nonstop. The hearings today, I kept turning them off and turning them on, and then I'd go and dig in my dig in my uh, shelves and try to find something historical, and I just kept saying to myself, deja vu all over again. Deja vu all over again. You remember the Iran contra mess. Remember Poindexter saying, yes, that, oh, no, no, it was said of Poindexter. They said, Poindexter is an honorable man. And I thought of, uh, yes, Mark Anthony and Julius Caesar, yes, saying, but Brutus is an honorable man. So are they all, all honorable men, yes. It's a wonderful New Yorker cartoon of a bunch of guys coming back from a massacre with spears. And on top of the spears, they have all these uh, heads, you know. And the peasants are lining the path and they say, they look at the heads on the spikes and they say, Well, they were a good people, but they were wrong. Yes. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame that one. Yes, I got out uh, Malvina Reynolds' old song. You think you've hit bottom. Oh, no. There's a bottom below. There's a low below the no, the low you know. Yes, you think you've hit bottom. Oh, no. It's a tongue twister, but I love it. Uh, putting Humpty Dumpty back together again is not the sort of thing that happens politically. Uh, I'm afraid we're in for more of the same. More of the same for a long, long time. They built those, um, what you call that, green zones right away. Nobody's going anywhere, folks. Never mind that. Uh, my new rule is no quetching. Accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. What I'm going to do this week... As I'm going to celebrate. Today is my birthday, and I'm 73 big ones, and I'm going to go to the KPFA Holiday Crafts Fair and sell my wares, my crafts. Someone once said, well, that's not a craft. I said, you think writing isn't a craft? I said, you know, when you lean over the typewriter and little drops of 
blood come out on your forehead anyway. I didn't do much this year. I have a reprint of an old book that I, I, we put a new cover on it, you know, to make it look snazzy. But when it was first published more than a decade ago, let's see, 92, yes, long time ago, 14 years ago, there were riots everywhere in the, um, uh, the mall where I had this art gallery opening this, uh, little book party planned in an art gallery down here in Berkeley and all the uh, shops were closed down and the cops were everywhere and I put a sign in the window saying book party canceled due to the fall of western civilization and it's one of the few times I made the Herb Cain column I remember somebody saw it and sent that into Herb Cain yes party canceled due to fall of western civilization I think that's becoming more and more accurate these days, uh, more and more accurate. Or is it Edith Wharton, the great Edith Wharton wrote years ago, I remember putting it in my, my book of uh, Analecta or phrases to remember forever. She said, yes, it is closing time in the gardens of the West. That's a grim one. My favorite, I think I gave it to you last week or the week before, my most favorite right now is the poet. I can't discover who said it, but there's a poet who said it. He said, we have narrowed it down, narrowed it down to the butcher knife and the mockingbird. Wish us luck. (laughs) In any case, last week I started an essay, and I want to finish it this week, but... Let's see. First, let me look at the the uh, profound little text that I put the new cover on and hope I can resurrect. It was called Telegraph Avenue then. Uh, I have four books. We'll have four books for sale. And this year I made some new CDs. People seem to like CDs. They tell me they can listen to them in the car. Uh, so I have a stack of CDs from this and that, that, you know, the sort of things that people are always asking for. (laughs) Things like readings of Samuel Beckett. Yes, here we go. Uh, 1933, she was born, Jennifer. Yes, that was the day that Prohibition was repealed, people. I was born the day that Prohibition was repealed and the whole nation was drunk. And I kind of took that to mean that the rules did not apply to me, but... I was wrong about that. Uh, This book is basically a memoir. We have to be straightforward about that. I think, let me me read you a little bit of the foreword. I'm always trying, you know how that goes, we're always trying to sum up things, make the tote, um, wrap it up, synthesize it, get it all collected into one paragraph. One sentence, one word. (laughs) Anyway, this is the foreword to Telegraph Avenue then. The dates in this book are 1966 through 1977. Very soon we will have published 77 through 88 and then 88 through 99. Lots of laughs in those years, right? Anyway. 
Uh, the foreword. Someone once wrote, Only the dead tell the truth. And then not for some years. So to the journal. The record of the past tells the truth if you let it soak long enough. Over time, flesh falls from the bones and we get to the marrow of things. The myths marinate, symbols come to the surface. What happened is only history. What matters is mythos. Most journal writing appears elliptical. Thoughts skip like stones across the surface of a life. Like a seascape seen from a moving train, beauty is glimpsed rather than known. The trivial and the profound get equal time. The sincerity of the moment dies quickly in a journal. That first rush or gush of feeling loses its suds. Honesty comes only with a slow synthesis. Honesty is the work of a lifetime. The pieces collected in this book have been synthesized from originals which were often too diffuse, too muddy for publication, but as Gertrude Stein said, mud settles. I have tried to take mud and make adobe bricks, uh, enough bricks to build a small house for a kind of female oversoul. A footnote here, I remember watching adobe bricks being made when I was a child, and I thought it was so marvelous the way they just took the mud and the straw and set them in the frames, and pretty soon you had bricks. Uh, anyway, I'll go on with this forward. Synthesis-like style has something to do with sedimentation. The settling of the sand of thought and the leaves of emotion into a compost heap of prose from which a poem may grow or a story ferment for some of us the compost heap itself is worth study even blue mold is a map of dream in the conventional novel, there is exposition and narrative leading to insight, or what we used to call the aha moment, you know. In school, we spoke of this as the, the narrative, the vines and the grapes, yes, the aha experience. You know, you go along the vine for a long time, think of Victorian novels, and finally you get to a grape, and you go, wow. I just wanted to crush the grapes, quick, crush the grapes and make wine. I think, I mustn't get off the subject here, but I do think that uh, the MTV and uh, commercial television has taught us how to put a world of emotions into 30 seconds. It's true. 
the so-called sound bite. Anyway, let us go on with this forward. Writing, as I experience it, means wringing out the heart and mind until it stops lying. In a journal, it is possible to gnaw, gnaw on the existential bone all day. Then use that bone, make stone soup for supper. Poems begin in a journal, but they often abort there. Trauma reflected upon in tranquility can produce morally stunning insights, literary light, but it can also produce maudlin rubbish. When I first began to rework the raw material in my journals, it was all I could do to separate the garbage from the trash. But I always returned to the style of the notebook because all other forms bore me. Uh, Anais Nin in the novel of the future wrote, The way to recognize a dead word is that it exudes boredom. <laughs> Another footnote here. In the novel of the future, Anais Nin said we should put desperate pages in a big box, you know, and just shuffle them around. And then we could call that a novel. I don't think it's quite that easy, but I take her point. I love the idea, yes, of collage novels, I guess you could call them. Anyway, Gertrude Stein, America's quintessential language poet, wrote, If you are a thinker, you will change the language. You will not use words the way the others do. The way others do is still pretty much the same today. Prose is prosaic and poetry is exclusionary. In recent years, there has been some hope that women might change the language. Virginia Woolf wrote that all the older forms had become hardened by the time the woman writer took up the pen. But the novel, she said, the novel might still be soft in a woman's hands. Wolf suggested that she might knock it into new shapes and use it as an outlet for the poetry in her. For it is poetry, wrote Virginia Woolf, which is still denied an outlet. She wrote about the tyranny of the male literary establishment, right? Yes, she wrote, If a writer were a free man and not a slave, if he could base his work upon his own feeling and not upon convention, there would be no plot, no comedy, no tragedy, no love interest or catastrophe in the accepted style, and perhaps not a single button sewn on as the Bond Street tailors would have it. <laughs> it's funny, another footnote here. Everybody knows that we've done this in film. The great art of the 20th century was film. And we've certainly learned to be, uh, what is that, uh, elliptical to collage movies. But books, people still seem to want a narrative. Anyway, Virginia Woolf wrote in 1928 that... Uh, 
women and men are not free. They are slaves to convention. She wrote, quote, I thought of all the women's novels that lie scattered like small pockmarked apples in an orchard scattered about the second-hand bookshops of London. It was the flaw in the center that had rotted them. She, that is the woman writer, she had altered her values in deference to the opinion of others. Always, always trying to please, yes. Angel in the house, that's what women are, anyway. Wolf expanded on this theory. She set it forth in her famous essay, A Room of One's Own, where she wrote that women are forbidden to write about the life of the body. They were, they are, inhibited by patriarchal taboo. Today, when bright-eyed young women tell me that this is no longer the case, <laughs> I show them my files. I got a great file labeled Blood Taboo. Uh, the file contains terse responses from editors, at least the ones who bothered to read my works on female biological experience. Publication is out of the question. When it comes to a woman's physical life, only the transmuted, abstracted material ever sees print. Oh, of course, um, F-poems are in great demand. I have to use the euphemism there. F-poems are in great demand. Um, we had those in the 50s. Uh, remember Lenore Candell's The Love Book, right? But it's the maternal material that is anathema to male stream publishers and editors. Uh, <laughs> I just edited that sentence into oblivion. Writing about babies or gynecology or even about real female needs is about as popular with editors and publishers as writing about skin disease. Footnote here, check out Sherry Height's uh, book, The Height Report. Uh, that one scares them off the map. You remember uh, Kinsey, the great Alfred Kinsey, wrote the book about male sexuality and that made him famous worldwide, but then he wrote a book about female sexuality, and uh, he was driven from his profession. Uh, yes, he was definitely, definitely got the backlash on that one. Nobody wanted to imagine their grandmother's sexuality. Good Lord. Content is censored just as much today as it was in past centuries. Form is also severely censor censored. Writers who go outside the lines when they draw pictures of the world are seldom rewarded for their efforts. This is just curious to me because nearly every other 20th century art form has cut loose from the past. I mean, painting is about paint. Music is about sound. But the words still cling to something very old. Like religiosity, language has its seat in the old brain. It's down there. It's in the reptilian brainstem of early man. 
Chants are as old as the dance. In the beginning was the word, and the word was sacred. Sacred text became story, and we are our stories. We will never be without our stories, without the fables and tales and legends and myths that surround us. They comfort us with symbols and songs. As Joseph Campbell told us, ritual is enacted myth. Our rituals are rites. Change when the myths change. Witness uh, the rock concert. Now that is an ancient, ancient rite, revived and made new again. That's Homeric stuff. Yes, I think Marshall McLuhan would call the rock concert post-literate. Yes, that's what he would say about it. Homeric tribal. What modern writers need to find is a structure that supports words today. New Age stories may not need an end, ending, a beginning, or even a middle. Gertrude Stein wrote, Stories have gone, just as representative painting has gone. Perhaps representative painting has gone because we have photography. Perhaps stories have gone because social structure as we have conceived it is going. Many of the stories of Western civilization have been internalized in our culture. The post-literate generation can watch a ten-minute video about the end of the world by ice or fire, and no one needs to refer them to Revelation, although it might be nice, you know, some literary references, yes. The young do not need to be told about original sin or about the legend of the fall. They've heard it all somewhere. These myths stain the culture. It's my own hope that we are a bit sick of the old mythos, that we're overdue for a paradigm shift away from judgment day, from dread and damnation as a social control, toward a new pagan pragmatism, that's what I hope, yes, the new, new Green Party politics, a genuine nature religion. Yes, new pagan pragmatism, I wonder if maybe that could come out of this new fundamentalist uh, push we've got going. I don't think so. So hard to make the old stuff new again. But if, if that is the direction of the next millennium, then literature might get a break. We might be able to let go of linear time, you know, the sense of time that leads to death, to endings. It also uh, leads to enemies, these guys that can't process information without wars and death. Poets know that these lines, these linear timelines, are only circles after all. No matter where we go in time, we always meet ourselves coming back, same old, same old. So too in the present work. I find that the person I wrote about in my little book here, the person I wrote about is no longer with me. 
She met me coming and going. She meets me coming back through the existential steps toward consciousness. She is still asking questions. The answers are forgotten now. What was it Gertrude Stein said? Yes, she said, consciousness in the 20th century, consciousness replaced the soul. Yes, I guess we called it uh, consciousness raising, self-consciousness, awareness. Uh, I keep thinking uh, we need Zen masters going around everywhere with a stick, smacking people, saying, wake up, wake up. <laughs> you are sleeping. Do not sleep on. Wake up. Many of the individual pieces I included in my book have been published over the years in different magazines. At first, I used a working title called Loose Leaves from a Little Black Book. I hope placing them all together between two covers makes a kind of marriage. Uh, reading over them now, they seem to have the aura of an old photo album in which what is left out speaks loudest. Anais Nin once wrote, Trust fragments. Trust the fragments. With my own students over the years, the phrase I used was, trust your dust. Dust is never deliberate. Like the past, it just accumulates. It becomes the ever-expanding present. In a journal, I can savor the moment and then let it go. Eternity happens when we can awaken into the present moment the moment which includes all that has been. Then the moving fingers, piety and wit, move on. Let's see, that dates from Berkeley, fall 1989, Telegraph Avenue then, and it begins with an epigraph from Oscar Wilde's poem, The Harlot's House. We watched the ghostly dancers spin to sound of horn and violin like black leaves wheeling in the wind. Autumn 1966, Lafayette, California, last year's Christmas tree lights are still strung out on the mantelpiece. One by one they burn out. It's August, September... Still, three little lights burning. Early December 1966, I get a divorce. I'd rather be lonely alone. My next-door neighbor buys my house. She wants to fix it up, she says. Rent it for income, she says. And on it goes, and back to Berkeley I come, yes. And we have what was once called the Revolution of the 60s. Of course, about that time, I was a young mother. Here it is, another epigraph from George Sand. The great George Sand wrote, Writing a journal means that facing your ocean, you are afraid to swim across it. So you attempt to drink it, drop by drop. And yes, then we go through all of the things that 
newly divorced women go through. And, yes, we see all the poets in all the cafes on Telegraph Avenue. And uh, comes the black nationalist movement and all these good things. Uh, trying to think which one would give you the essence. <laughs> Here's another epigraph from Emily Dickinson. I started early, took my dog, and visited the sea. The mermaids in the basement came out to look at me. I think there's a book out now somewhere called The Mermaids in the Basement. Finally, we get to the great changes that come in midlife. There's a bit here from a Hebrew legend. It's all about Lilith, Adam's first wife. Lilith chose to leave Adam to live alone by the Red Sea. She found peace there on the hard rock sand lining the deep blue gulf of Aqaba, making love with satyrs, minotaurs, and centaurs. And guess what? America is back there on the gulf of Aqaba, back in Mesopotamia, back in the land of Ur, back in the ancient, the ancient uh, beginnings of civilization, which we've decided has to <laughs> has to be reconstructed merkin style oh don't get me started i hope to see all of you at the kpfa holiday crafts fair this has been jennifer stone with stone's throw i will be there both saturday and sunday from nine to six ten to six are the hours said eighth and brennan i'm sure you'll hear all kinds of ads for it I'm on the ground floor, just to your left as you enter. Just keep going left after you go through the front door.